Good morning once again. It's so good to see all of you joining us for worship in our sanctuary and in our auditorium and our online broadcast today. My name is Rick Lyman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Church. It's my privilege today to share with you in the Word of God. And we're wrapping up our Summer Lights series today. I am the lesser light, the last light, you might say. But I'm going to encourage you, if you've not caught all of the sermons during this series, to go to the Christchurch.us website, to our media page, and look at the on-demand services over this past couple of months. There's been some powerful messages delivered by a variety of speakers from a lot of different backgrounds and places I know will benefit you greatly. But friends, if you're like me, you're observing that so many people today are overwhelmed emotionally feeling physically exhausted as a result of that as well, seemingly by the seemingly incessant onslaught of negative news. Whether you agree with what news is putting out or not, it's 99% negative, it seems. Some of it is natural disasters. Some of it's the pandemic that just won't seem to go away. Some of it can be other things, but there's so much negativity circulating around us. The dark clouds of fear and of doom seem to creep back in. The moment we get a ray of sunshine emotionally or some positive thing happened, the clouds come back so quickly. I'm concerned that some are so down in their life and their hearts and their inner being that they don't feel like they're ever going to feel good again or ever get up again. But friends, God's Word has much to say to us for such a time as this, for people such as us. Today we're going to consider together in God's word how he has enabled and empowered us to live with confidence in a time of fear and confusion, to be positive in our attitude of faith when it seems like there's nothing but negativity around us. His word will encourage and empower us to stand strong when everyone and everything around us seems to be crumbling into sand. We'll see how his Holy Spirit's already empowered us to stand up, to get off the mat and prepare ourselves for the days ahead to live in victorious ways, to stand against our adversary and evil in all its forms and manifestations. His word and his spirit empower us to stand for what is loving and right and true and pure and good and just, and to stand out, to rise above the crowd and lead in the time of fear and uncertainty, and ultimately stand together with one heart and one mind for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Edward Lewis once said it this way, we define ourselves by the best that is in us, not the worst that has been done to us. Will you join me in a word of prayer? And I ask and encourage you to pray for me as I share God's word. I do this all the time that I might be empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the words that God has given for me to share today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you sent forth your word to give us the truth that will set us free. May your word as we listen to it today and hear it in our hearts set us free deeply. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will go before us in every one of our dealings to open up things that have been blocked and limited, to release us to experience joy and peace and love, the fruit of your Spirit in these days ahead, in abundance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was about eight or nine years old, growing up in suburban Mount Prospect, little suburb north of here, 
Uh, life was pretty good for us kids in those days. In those days, there were five kids in our family. Our parents didn't usually know what we were doing or where we were most of the day. We had to show up at 5 o'clock for dinner with our hands washed and our faces washed and be on time, that was for sure. But pretty much it was a time when kids just kind of went and did their own thing. Things were great in our neighborhood until a family moved in just a few blocks away right next door to one of my best friends named Michael. And this family's oldest son named Neil was kind of a rough customer and became the bully in the neighborhood. You know what a bully does, right? He would not let any kid walk by his house or ride his bike down the street or the sidewalk. If any kid dared to do that in the neighborhood, he'd chase them down and beat them up. I, too, avoided this street a couple streets away from me for a while because everyone was so afraid of this new kid. Then one day, my younger brother, Paul, whom some of you know, he's a couple years younger than me, uh, innocently rode his bike down that street thinking that Neil wasn't around. When, unfortunately, Neil was around, and he chased my brother down all the way down the street, caught up with him, and gave him a beatdown also. Paul came home pretty upset that afternoon and terrified. And I immediately said to myself, that's enough. I'm going to go and have a talk with this bully. So I hopped on my bike and rode directly over there, parked my bike right in front of his house in the no-ride zone, and went up to Neil and said, hey, I'm telling you right now, you're going to leave my little brother alone. Neil's response, like any reasonable kid was, he charged at me, tackled me to the ground, and started punching me wildly. Okay, that's what started. What ensued was a 15-minute long, literal knockdown, drag-out battle. At one point, he had me pinned down, uh, and he clawed my face, digging eight deep gashes down both of my cheeks and into my forehead. My whole face was bloodied. My skin was under his fingernails. Large crowd of neighborhood children who had been bullied by this kid started, came, started gathering around, wondering what was going on in the front yard over there. I eventually got him off of me, and exerting quite a bit more force at this point, got him back down on the ground with his arm behind his back and with his face in the dirt, and I simply said, do you give up? And he took him a while to overcome his pride, but he finally said, okay, I give up. I give up. So I got up, figured my job was done, walking back to my bike, and what happens? Neil charges up from behind me, grabs me from behind in a chokehold, takes me to the ground. He's literally choking me. And I thought, I couldn't breathe. I thought I might actually die. So this time, I got him off of me again somehow, and this time exerted even more force and got him back down on the ground again under my knee. And I simply said to him, I don't ever want to hear about you bothering my brother or bothering any kid in this neighborhood or you're going to have me to deal with again. He finally conceded, started crying, and ran at home, right inside his house looking for his mommy. Some of the kids were pretty happy about that. So was I. I don't recommend fighting. I don't recommend those things, but I was defending myself and fighting for my life. Neil never bothered anyone again in that neighborhood. The children of the neighborhood are set free. They're able to ride their bikes, play in the front yard even if they wanted to without any kind of fear. You see, the powerful bully still lived there. But he was afraid to terrorize anyone else. He who had once used fear as a weapon over others had been put in his place by someone stronger than him. I share all of this to illustrate what Jesus himself did when he came to our neighborhood, when he left heaven and came to earth. You see, there was this bully named Satan. He's there in the Garden of Eden. He's operating through the Old Testament. He's there in the life of Jesus. We see many, many different times 
But Satan had terrorized and ruled with an iron fist of fear and oppression over the human race in so many demonstrative ways. But when Jesus showed up, who actually the scripture says is our bigger brother, where he's the firstborn among many brethren, listen to what he came to do. We miss over these scriptures very often. He came to this and he succeeded to do it famously. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise took, partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Second chapter of Colossians makes it even clearer when it says this, Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all the spiritual and authority and power to accuse us that they'd had. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Are you getting the picture here? Jesus came to set captives free, like you and like me. Free from the power of sin, but also free from the power of the spiritual bully named Satan. Even John, in 1 John, the letter that he wrote, said these things about something else Jesus did to do, what came to do to the devil. It says, but the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus, the all-powerful Son of God, came to earth not to negotiate with the devil, not to appease the God of this age as he's referred to in the scripture, but to destroy the devil and his works. And the amazing fact is King Jesus wants to complete this kind of work in our day where there's influences of evil, where Satan still seems to have an upper hand in people's lives. So what's this mean for us in 2021? Jesus has done his part to perfection. Now it is our part to living our lives in a way, such a way that we bring freedom, that we bring deliverance, that we bring help and hope and encouragement to those who are under oppression mentally and spiritually. And Ephesians 6, a famous chapter of the scriptures, gives us a really clear picture of what God has empowered each one of us now to do because of what Jesus has already done to the eternal, the spiritual bully in Satan. Ephesians 6 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Wow. Be strong in the mighty power of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather it's against the principalities and powers and against the rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and all the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. And then he goes on, stand therefore, and goes into some more details. Do you hear that call? Directly out of the word of God from the Holy Spirit to each one of us, be strong, not weak. Be confident, 
not cowardly and fearful. God has given to us all the protection we need. It's not the armor, armor from God, it's the armor of God. He is with us and upon us. And he's given us more power than any of us actually realize. Friends, it's time for us to grab God's hand and for each of us to take our own personal stand, to be strong in God's mighty power, to take our stand against the schemes the devil's using against us, to stand our ground when evil circumstances and evil people and even evil situations confront us, to stand firm in what we believe in and what we hold to be true, and to stand up for what is in our heart to do. You see, standing like I am today is a posture of strength and confidence. But so many of us feel so beaten down, confused, crushed, and immobilized by fear and trauma, it seems. And I believe Jesus would say to anybody who's feeling that today, take my hand, my child, get up, stand, and walk. He healed physically crippled people and disabled people many different times through the Gospels by taking their hand and saying, get up and walk, I set you free. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to say to us today. But friends, if that is one of you today who's feeling that down, that oppressed, that under the power of of darkness, I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit would speak to you today right out of 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And the scripture you'll see on the screen is an expanded version of that, which says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind and judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and this thing called self-control. God doesn't operate through fear, my friends. He operates through faith. Our enemy, however, the devil, uses fear masterfully to block us, to bind us, to limit us, and paralyze us emotionally. It's what all bullies do, isn't it? And fear is Satan's number one weapon. He's using it against us all the time. But you know, the scriptures are really clear. The scriptures tell us, fear not 366 times. God's got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? He understands there'd be 365 days plus one for leap year. But I believe he's that many times in the scriptures so we'd realize fear is a prevalent issue. And God understands, he says, fear not, for I am with you. There's three big categories of fear, I think, that prevail in our lives. Number one is the fear of the unknown, which is confusion. What bad thing is coming next? There's the fear of the unexpected. I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared for this. I can't handle this. And then there's the fear of the unbearable, the imagining of the worst possible outcomes and pain and torment and allowing our minds to dwell in those kinds of things. These could be manifested in these kind of specific fears. The fear of being victimized, the fear of being abused, the fear of violence happening to you. These are real fears. The fear of rejection in a relationship that matters to us. The fear of abandonment by someone close to us. The fear of disapproval by someone we hope to please. The fear of betrayal in a relationship of trust. The fear of pain or illness or suffering physically. There's even the fear of death that even those of us who know 
we're going to heaven. We have a confident faith in that we're not sure about how we're going to end up getting there. There's a fear also of confrontation. You being confronted by people or confronting others that you need to have hard conversations with. There's also the fear of losing a loved one at every stage of life. These are just some of the kinds of fears, but fear keeps us looking through the microscope at every possible thing that could go wrong instead of looking through the telescope of faith that God wants us to see, the lofty heights to yet be attained and the opportunities yet before us. Fear can sometimes be self-centered because we're focusing only upon ourselves and how something's going to affect us instead of realizing how capable God has made us to be difference makers in others' lives. Our enemy is constantly trying to sow seeds of fear and doubt into us, lies that discourage and debilitate and defeat us, that produce a kind of self-defeating self-talk. You know, we don't listen often to what we're saying to ourselves or we're hearing it all the time. Some of the self-talk the devil wants us to buy into is things like, I'm a loser, I'll never be good at anything, or I'm a worthless person, I will never be happy. I will never be free from my painful memories that torment me. I'm unlovable. No one will ever love me. No one cares that I'm even alive. I tried God and even that didn't work. I tried to read the Bible. It doesn't make sense to me. I've finally blown it and even God has given up on me like everyone else. I'm helpless and I'll never escape this. I'm not a good spouse. I can't make my spouse happy. I'm not a good parent. All of that kind of negative scripting. And if we're saying those kinds of things to ourselves, we're playing right in the enemy's hand. But friends, the scripture says, God has given you a spirit of power, which means competence, ability, and capability. He's given you the spirit of love, to love others, to love those that are difficult to love, and even to love yourself in the right way. He wants us to do that. You have a spirit of sound thinking or self-control. You can be and need to be in control of your thoughts and your words and your imaginations. The spirit of Christ himself is inside of you. Do you realize that? All of us already have it. what it takes to live life to its full, but we lose sight of that. When our enemy looks at us now in Christ, he clearly sees Christ beside us and he sees him in us and he shudders in fear of you and I because of Christ. God can't possibly give any of us any more power and blessing and authority than he's already given us through Christ. The problem is, I believe for so many of us, we don't realize what we already have. Well, I want to share today four proven steps that anyone can take to break free from these negative, self-defeating thought patterns, if that's something you're dealing with, and convert our fear into fortitude, our cowardice into confidence, and our weakness into wellness in all parts of our being. The first step that I'm going to encourage us to consider is that number one thing is to recognize, to realize the things that are holding you back or down, the lies that you have bought into unwittingly. It all starts with recognizing our own inner dragons. We have to know and recognize our enemy to be able to defeat him. And what voice or tone of voice do we hear inside of us? The battle is really in our minds and what we think about. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. What we think about ourselves, what we say to ourselves about ourselves, and what we perceive God is thinking and saying to us is so important. 
If you're hearing and listening to a steady stream of self-condemning, negative, critical thoughts about yourself, guess what? You're going to feel down. You're going to feel weakened. You're going to feel powerless and defeated and miserable most of the time. This is exactly where the enemy, the devil, wants you to be. He can't take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven, my friends, in Jesus. There's nothing he can do about that. But he can try to make you miserable all the way getting to there. The reason I believe so many of us listen and allow that evil voice to run in our minds and to ruin our thought lives is that we believe somehow deep down we deserve to suffer. We don't deserve to feel good about ourselves or our prospects, our future, or even feel good about our past. But you realize something? This is a learned mental behavior. And it often results from violence we've experienced or abuse abuse or emotional trauma we've gone through or unresolved guilt over something we did that we just can't forgive ourselves for. We're holding ourselves in contempt for some shameful thing we did 20, 30, 40 years ago, and we're kicking ourselves. It's very often as well due to bad or false teaching from well-meaning but misguided Christian leaders or authority figures who are just projecting their own depression and self-hatred on us in a way of using guilt and shame to manipulate or control us. Some lies that we've accepted may be like this. Thinking badly about yourself will make you a better person because this is what Christians are supposed to do. Or putting yourself down is a Christian virtue. Uh, It's not a Christian virtue and it's not Christian to put yourself down. The good news, friends, that if in fact this is a learned behavior of our minds, it can be unlearned and replaced with a new, better, life-giving way of thinking. I point your attention to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It'll be on the screen in a second. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. For God's will is for, for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. This is the first step to winning the battle for our minds. This is going to take some work on your part. That step one of recognizing takes us writing down, making an inventory of all the stuff that's going on in our minds. And I'm going to encourage you, if you recognize one of these strongholds in your life, and a stronghold defined by Dr. Neil Anderson's is simply a belief or habitual pattern of thinking that is not consistent with what God tells us is true. If you recognize some of those things that I'm going to encourage you to do is to make a list of those things. Make an inventory of those different things. You've got to know what's going on inside to get some reprogramming going on. And once you've identified what those things are, I'm going to suggest for you to do a couple things. I'll give you suggested resources to help you with that in a minute. Is that once we've pulled the bad weeds out, like I'm weeding my yard every day, it seems like this summer, for some reason they just want to go away, we want to replace all those negative, self-defeating thought patterns with God's empowering words. To consciously and consistently replace the lies that Satan has sown in our minds with what God actually says is true about us. This is what I call a thought transplant process where we replace our faulty thinking about with God's liberating, life-giving, energizing, and empowering words. This also will take some time. With intentionality, thought patterns like other habits can actually be completely changed in about 40 days. A couple of resources I'm going to recommend that you consider are two books by Tommy Newberry. One of them is a simply a book called The 4-8 Principle. 
and then he's come up with a workbook that goes with this called The Daily Guide to the Joy-Filled Life. This is a little workbook that you can take 40 days to work through and actually do the very process I'm talking about to help begin transforming the things you're thinking about in your everyday lives. There's some, here's some affirmations that I just want to consider that we replace all that negative self-talk with. And all of these are very directly based upon scripture verses, which if you want, I can get them to you. But here's some affirmations. It's not a wrong thing to say nice things about yourself. It's not sinful or prideful to agree with what God says about you. Here's some of those things. God chose me to be in his family. I am wanted and I am desired. I am forgiven for all my screw-ups and mistakes. I am a capable, competent, power-filled person. I am a dearly loved, cherished child of God. I am God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I am a talented and gifted person that can make this world a better place. I am freed completely from the authority of Satan in my life. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. He calls me his friend. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am accepted, welcomed, and desired in the very presence of God the Father. And I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Jesus knows me by name and loves everything about me. That actually says that in the scripture. He loves everything about us. I have direct access to God himself 24-7. And God listens to and answers my prayers. Would it feel strange for you to be saying these things about yourself? This is what God says about you in the scriptures. He goes on to say these kinds of things in the scriptures. I can do all things through the strength and energy that Jesus gives to me. I can handle anything that life throws at me because of this. I can and I will control my thoughts. I can and will manage my emotions and feelings. I can and will face my fears and conquer every single one of them. I can stop feeling guilty about feeling good. My past mistakes do not determine who I am becoming. My life will no longer be ruled by fear. I will give thanks in all circumstances, even when it doesn't make sense. I will rejoice in my Lord all the time. He is just that good. And I will keep on growing until I reach perfection in Christ. I won't give up. I won't give in and I'll never stop living the life God ordained for me to live because God's plans for me are good. They're pleasing and they're, they're perfect. I suggest that to you as a way to begin to be sowing positive scriptural. This isn't positive mental attitude. These are all scriptures right in the Bible that God has given to us. Once we've pulled out all the weeds and good seed is planted, we need to actively defend and protect our minds and hearts from something else. These fiery darts the enemy wants to get to land in our minds. We need to resist anything and anyone and everything that is against God's promises and plan for your life. We need to avoid people who are negative, doubters, naysayers, destructive, abusive to us. We need to make some choices to get out of some relationships that simply are dragging us down and make the positive choice, which is a courageous step for some of us at our season, in our seasons of life, is to start some new relationships with people who live in an attitude of faith, who understand and know who Jesus is, 
who can lift us up and help us along in our journey. And friends, I encourage you to consider maybe joining a group this fall. If you've gotten disconnected from a small group or prayer group experience, we've got lots of groups starting up. Rooted groups are starting up in just a couple of weeks here. Get around people who can build you up to resist and repel all that negativity. And the fourth step is something maybe some have never really done. Just release your heart and your mind and your soul to live life to its full to look forward in confident faith to the faith experience that God actually created for you to have. God made you, and you are uniquely special for a reason, to represent God on this earth. You and I, the Scriptures calls us God's ambassadors. I have two other resources by an author named Allie Worthington I want to suggest to you. They're simply called Standing Strong and Fierce Faith. These are directed towards women, specifically by the author, but they're great for anybody. They'll help you in this journey of moving from fear to faith. I believe they're powerful resources. Ellie says this in Standing Strong, God isn't calling us to live an enough life. He's calling each of us to live an abundant life, which is to say a more than enough life. He's calling us to walk in our gifts, to overcome our self-doubt, to start living out our purposes, and to stand strong. She goes on to say, don't focus on the reasons you can't. Focus on the God who can. My friends, I think you hear me. I'm calling us to action here today. We've been paralyzed. We've been marginalized as Christians so many different ways. But I'm calling us to a kind of action that will strengthen us, will greatly improve our life experience, enable us to grow in God confidence This isn't about self-confidence. I'm talking about God-confidence today. And ultimately, that we can be the ones that help others get free of these very same things. So friends, what bully has your life hemmed in today? What bad experience has you painted into a corner of fear that you just don't feel like you can get out from? What bully figuratively is keeping you from pursuing what you really want and know that you're called to do in life? going after your deepest dreams and passions. Friends, it's your time to face that bully, to square up that enemy, and to put them under your feet once and for all. The Word tells us in Romans chapter 16, 20, and I want you to hear this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Friends, it's time for us to get up the, off that mat, take back what belongs to us, your God-given dream and destiny. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you. We thank you for the living power of your word. Lord, I pray that you said it's living, it's active, and your word never returns void. I pray that you'll lift us, strengthen us, encourage us, guide us to the help that we need, Guide us to the places we need to be changing the way we think. And God, I pray most of all that you will be well pleased as we draw ever closer to you moment by moment and day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.